Welcome to the Piano Whisperer Podcast. It all started with a good friend of mine and the founder of the Piano Guys, Paul Anderson, in St. George, Utah. Paul was actually a Yamaha dealer in St. George, Utah, and was always creative, was always entrepreneurial. And the story goes that he wanted to start making videos to help sell pianos. <laughs> and John Schmidt had come into his store and one thing led to another. And we started making videos and we started recording the performances on the disc of And then we put the piano in very unusual places, like on top of a mountain or in different locations. And one thing led to another. And Steve, John, Al and Paul became the piano guys. They're currently Sony artists that travel the world. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Piano Whisperer today. I'm very excited, again, to have with me today Craig Knudsen. Craig has over 30 years of experience in the high-tech music industry. He is a highly accomplished keyboardist and arranger who has been featured on hundreds of local and national television shows, performing and demonstrating his music software creations. Craig was the music director for Universal Studios' grand opening ceremonies in Florida. He has performed at Carnegie Hall as a solo artist and with MTV on a national tour as part of their Museum of Unnatural History. He has been called one of the top innovators in music software and technology. He is known as the creator of several of Yamaha's most popular music technology applications, such as Follow the Lights, QTime, Kooky Karaoke, and Smart Key. To his credit, he has created two shows for Disneyland's renovation of Tomorrowland, and he currently is the official technology guy, i.e. production manager, for the international YouTube sensation, The Piano Guys. Craig, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Well, great to be here. You brought me through memory lane going through my long history. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yep. There was a lot to find. I was trying to piece it all together. I thought, wow, he's done so many things. So... I always like to start with questions about a person's early years. So I would love to know about your music life growing up and how you started your journey. I found it interesting that you studied biology and economics at Northwestern University and then went on to Harvard Business School before getting into professional music. So I'd love to know how you got from point A to point B. Well, I was born at a very early age. That's what Victor <laughs> Oliveira used to say, a great organist. I guess it started when I was five years old, went to a friend of the family's and they had an organ there. And at the age of five, my dad and I started taking lessons at Schmidt Music in Minneapolis. And the story was that I passed him up after six weeks and he didn't like that. But then I found a teacher there named Herb Wigley who taught me the blues scale. So I was playing Jimmy Smith blues music those parents brought me a Hammond B3 when I was about six years old. So I wow, neat. forever indebted. I know I was a non-traditional introduction. I learned to play before I learned to read, which is a lot like the English or any language that's learned. We tend to learn a language first, then we learn to read. And yet in music, quite often we force students to learn to read before they can play. So just a little insertion there. So that was it. Five years old, playing the Hammond B3 and loving it. 
Yeah. So it didn't occur to you then when you were a teen, hey, I might want to do this professionally because you went on to business school and biology and economics. So what was going on in your mind when you were a teen? Well, when I was a teen, I started working for Wurlitzer with an Oregon company mm. when I was in Omaha, Nebraska. And I just, my first job was just demonstrating keyboards and organs in a mall. West Roads Mall was the seventh largest mall in the United States at that time. And just got to know the sales process, getting people involved with music, getting non-musicians involved with music. When I turned 18 and I was accepted to Northwestern, I was I was going to be a doctor, but I brought the organ along to school, believe it or not. Did you? Yeah, I did. Wow. And on weekends, I still remember when I was studying for a biology exam or something, the dealers used to set me up in a back room and I'd be studying my biology in PCHEM and then I'd come out and do the, the organ concert and then I'd fly home Sunday night. And it was pretty bizarre, but good memories about that, I guess. Then got my degree and still involved with music. And at that point, I wanted to become a smaller fish in a bigger pond. I went from Wurlitzer to Yamaha and started working with them. And when it was time to leave Harvard Business School after I graduated from there, I said, I love the music products industry. I love music. I love getting non-musicians involved in music. I like creating music. And that's when I decided to work with Yamaha full-time from there on out. Wow. So when you were at Harvard Business School, did you have the music business in mind? What were your thoughts there? I was still thinking about business, obviously, but when all of my 90 section mates graduated and a lot of them went to Wall Street and other went to other areas. I said, I like the music products industry. So I went to Ron Raup at Yamaha. They had a new product called the HX Electone. I got a $60,000 instrument. And I said, listen, rather than go to Wall Street or whatever, I'd love to introduce that product with you. So he hired Hector Oliveira, who many consider to be the greatest classical living organist. We introduced product together. I played in jeans and Reeboks and played movie themes and Hector played classical music and a tux with a baton. And that was wow. a concert right there. <laughs> That's so cool. Now you seemingly quickly established yourself as a technological guru of sorts in the music world and you developed quite a few popular music software programs through your partnership with Yamaha. We mentioned several of your creations in the intro, the Follow the Lights, Cookie Karaoke, QTime, and Smart Key. Do you have a favorite app? Well, all of those things were simply created out of necessity. Yamaha makes some amazing instruments, and the engineers will, in many ways, over-engineer and make mm -hmm. it better than it has to be. And like the Follow Lights... They hadn't created follow lights. They created guide lamps. They put lights over the keys, and the lights on a clavinova showed people which notes you missed if you played wrong mm -hmm. notes, and then it would stop. Mm -hmm. Well, I turned the idea on its head. That's for people who are learning how to play. They already read music. They're playing along. They miss a note. The clavinova stops, and the light shows them which note they missed. Amazing Yamaha engineers created. I thought why don't we do this? Why don't we use the light to teach people who don't know how to play which notes to play? And it waits until they play the right note. And then we'll call it follow lights. So ultimately, it's the same technology. One of my favorite stories is when I met the president of Yamaha worldwide, and I was showing him autumn leaves, the autumn leaves, and then there's this payoff. He would follow the lights, he'd hit the first note, the second note, the third note. And then that fourth note is the famous Roger Williams payoff, he played that, stopped and he looked at me and he says, ah, 
And then he did it again, the autumn leaves, and it waited for him. He turned to me and he goes, what is the purpose? And I turned to him and I said, well, if we put this technology in all of our clavinovas, we can sell these instruments to people who don't play. And then he continued following it a little more. And then he turned to me and he says, why don't they learn? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it shows the difference in the culture. So in Japan, 6 million people have been taught by the Yamaha Music School. Here I've used follow lights to get people involved with music. I can give them a positive music experience without much effort, not to teach, but to just give that experience and to encourage people to get involved with music. Yeah, it's kind of a page out of the old organ classes, right? Where people would come and have a club. And it seems, I could be wrong about this, but it seems that part of your mission has been simply to increase the number of music makers through software. Is that a fair statement? Fair enough. Yeah. Even the silly kooky karaoke. I mean, we all know what karaoke is but you'd never find me in a karaoke bar because I can't sing well. <laughs> I don't have vibrato. But that's what I did is I took the technology that engineers had put in there. I figured out how to make it correct the pitch so you couldn't sing a wrong note. I figured out how to make it add vibrato. The harmony was there by the engineers. And then I modified the voices so you could sing like famous people like Barry White or Kate Smith or Popeye, and I called it Cookie Karaoke. No, I thought it was pretty neat. I was reading about that. And another one that Yamaha developed called the Smart Pianist app seems like it brings value to the market. Do you want to share what that is, just in terms of giving people an idea of what kind of technology currently is available recreationally? That's something that Yamaha Japan deserves so much credit for. It's basically an app in an iPhone or an iPad that takes whatever songs in your iTunes library, evaluates the audio, and in the screen of that device will give you a chord chart for that song. Crazy good technology. So it gets the measures, it gets on chords like a C minor with a G bass. The more full the music is with lots of band and lots of bass and lots of drums, it really does well. In the Smart Pianist app with the Clavinova, it'll then take those chords and give you a piano piece of sheet music that you can play along with. So think about that. Yamaha went from audio to essentially MIDI, and no one's really ever done that before. And my hat's off to Japan, creating such an amazing app. So where do you see this music technology going in the future? Do you have a sense of what you feel could evolve? Oh, you know, there MIDI 2.0 is coming out. So MIDI is continuing to improve. I've always been intrigued with MIDI as a way to capture performances. The average audience member doesn't really know the difference between MIDI and audio. We all know audio. Audio is a recording of sound waves and the sound and it stores it, but MIDI is a, a recording of the performance. And an easy way to think of a MIDI performance on a piano or a keyboard is that it's recording the keystrokes. It's not recording the sound, it's recording the keystrokes. And if you record the keystrokes, then you can modify the sound at a later time to whatever you want, or you can change notes, et cetera. So I've always been intrigued with MIDI for that reason. The future reproducing pianos and, and the focus is changing a little bit from music learning to music creation. And that's a little tough to see. People aren't spending the psychomotor skills to learn how to play a musical instrument like they used to. But they still can create music with certain tools and mixing samples together. And they're both creative. We can't say one is not creative. I do have a personal preference for learning the skills of a mechanical musical instrument. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, in this country, that's true. It's not in the forefront of education like it used to be. But of course, in China, it's exploding, right? And that's a different culture and again, a different set of values. Now, I want to talk about remote concerts because you touched on that. And although the concept of remote concerts has been around for several years now, this is still a brand new idea in the minds of most people. And I'm talking about an artist performing on one piano in one city that can perform perfectly in real time on a piano in another city using, of course, the Yamaha Disclavier technology. Would you tell the listeners about this and where you see maybe that going in the future as well? Well, the simple fact is that the Disclavier Inspire, if it's connected to the internet with a LAN cable, with a seven-digit code, that piano can call any other piano in the world. So that piano can play that other instrument and simultaneously that person can play their piano remotely and it'll play the piano. So it's primarily for educational purposes with universities and instructors that can teach up to four people total, can be connected at one time. That's the mechanical part, but we can also use it for entertainment. And Elton John played 301 pianos at the same time from the Disney Hyperion stage about three years ago with that technology. He had a disclavier there. When he pushed that key down, if you had a disclavier in your house, the key went down at the same time. If he pushed the pedal down on that stage, the pedal went down in your house. And so I think Yamaha is redefining the definition of what a live performance is. Is Elton John in your house playing? Well, no, but are Elton John's fingers reaching into your living room and playing the piano as though he's there? Well, yeah. So a live performance is being redefined. And then also you can have time-shifted performances, location-shifted performances and time-shifted, which means you could record Elton John and play that performance back at another time in another location. So sort of scary when you think about it, but that's one reason why I love MIDI is you're recording the keystrokes, the performance rather than the sound. That's cool. And so people in their homes can basically subscribe to this service. It's like Disclavier TV. And essentially it's a service that allows Disclavier owners to stream concerts in their homes sync perfectly with actually video footage of the performance as well, right? Absolutely. And this is the technology that I introduced The piano guys always wondered from day one, why are we recording John's performances on the Disclavier and the Clavinova in MIDI? And I said, because someday we can use those performances and play them back. And sure enough, we put 12 of those performances on Disclavier TV. And it's sort of a way in which piano guys, fans, can enjoy the video in enhanced piano reality. That's what I like to call it. (laughs) Now, I want to talk about that. You're actually, your timing is perfect because I was going to segue to that. So I want to talk to you about your work with the piano guys. So can you tell us about them? Some folks may not know them, even though they've got a jillion views on YouTube. But can you tell us about their own trajectory and how they came to be? Well, sure enough. First of all, they are quite a force. They get 1.5 million views a day on YouTube, which are just scary numbers. And it all started with a good friend of mine and the founder of the Piano Guys, Paul Anderson, in St. George, Utah. Paul was actually a Yamaha dealer in St. George, Utah, and was always creative, was always entrepreneurial. And the story goes that he wanted to start making videos to help sell pianos. (laughs) And John Schmidt had come into his store, and one thing led to another, and we started making videos, and we started recording the performances on the Disclavier, and then we put the piano in very unusual places, like on top of a mountain or 
in different locations. And one thing led to another. And Steve, John, Al, and Paul became the piano guys. They're currently Sony artists that travel the world. They put pianos on top of the Great Wall at China, and they've done it at Petra and Christ the Redeemer statue. Coming up in the future is the Colosseum, Machu Picchu, and Taj Mahal. They're just very creative. Paul plays the piano. Stephen plays the cello. Always have a lot of fun. They're called the piano guys, even though the other performer is a cellist. Al is an incredible music producer, and then Paul's the founder who does all of the drone work. Their videos are breathtaking. Yeah, they definitely are. So now you are their production manager, i.e. their technology guy or the other way around. Tell us what you do for them and how you are enhancing what they do. It sounds like you've been with them since the beginning, actually. Well, I've been with them from the beginning in a very background mode. It's not until the last two or three years that I've gotten more involved with actual production of videos. Basically, what they wanted to do is to continue to connect with their fans, they wanted to come out with more videos. And yet they're traveling the world, they're creating music for Hal Leonard, they're doing all this stuff. So they said, help us create some additional videos with collaborations. And so the first collaboration that I came up with was Capaldi. What's his first name who did that wonderful song, Someone You Loved? Um, It was just coming out and there was a couple, Charity and Andrus, were some dancers that were the only dancers on the world of dance that got a perfect score. So we had an idea, why don't we have them dance to that music? And the music is pertinent. And that video got a million views in the first week or so. So that really was a good way to start off. They wanted to do Avatar, so I contacted Disney. We were the first group to ever perform Jake's First Flight, a song from Avatar as a band in the middle of Disney World's Avatar. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great video. That's the Avatar behind the scenes music video. That's worth seeing. A hundred million plus views on that as well. Probably not that one. Not, I don't think that one's got that. Oh no, not on that one. That's right. That's at a hundred thousand because it's newer. That's right. Some of them do. The reason is because when we initially did it, we thought Avatar was coming out. And yet Avatar got postponed two years. And that's oh, one of no. the benefits of being the piano guys is if something big is coming out, if we do a video or some music that's related to that, we're going to show up in that right column once they see that original video that they went to go through. So we've done that. We did a Lego animation for Christmas. We're doing a puppeteer video with a, a puppeteer from Bulgaria who created four puppets of the piano guys to pictures at the exhibition. And we even did a video with Ksenia, the sand painter with Pirates of the Caribbean. She won America's Got Talent for her sand painting. So that's what I do. Have fun collaborations with the piano guys and create videos. So when you're creating the videos, are you the guy that's making all the technology stream possible? What are you doing to make those videos possible? They're mostly doing that. I'm just doing the organization, contact, getting the site going. The brilliance of Steve and John The music is all in place already. And then Al's there making sure that as they do different takes, since he helped create that music, he's playing that back. And then Paul's there flying the drone up and down. They've got a videographer named Shay Scott, who's absolutely brilliant and has basically done every video from them. So that team's in place. I'm more just a production management. Keeping everybody on their on their schedule, on task, getting it going. You're basically project managing all of that. It's so much fun. There's so much joking that always goes on and around and it's just fun. 
I get a sense of that. I can see their camaraderie and I can see the joy that they have doing what they're doing and also uh, humility about it. What I mean by that is I don't perceive any arrogance at all. It's just sort of like, oh, wow, I can't believe we're doing this, just sharing that. that. That's how it comes across in the videos. Well, and they open up their concerts as four dorky dads. <laughs> and yet, uh, their concerts are just amazing because I think people are surprised at the, the breadth of the music the breadth of their inventory of songs, but also the humor. There's so much humor that goes on in their concerts and they meet with everyone after and meet and greets. And it's just an honor working with them. Yeah, well, that's great. That's really fun to hear. And it seems that you've had a good experience working with Disney in general. Is is that accurate? Well, that relationship, you mentioned the home of the future, that was in relation to Yamaha. So Yamaha has a very tight relationship in Anaheim, with Disney and the official musical instrument manufacturer of Disney, I believe. That was something that came up and they just got me involved eventually to help them finish up the project by creating the content for those two shows. So what were those two shows that you created for them? Oh, well, one was the the home of the future. There was a piano, a disc once again, that it said, all right, what, what would a piano in the future look like? So Disney Imagineers created a piano. And remember grandma's piano years ago, and she used to put the lid down and put photographs of the family on top of the piano? Well, Disney brought that up a notch. They put LCD screens. And when different actors would walk in, like the mother, all the pictures would change to her favorite pictures. And yet when little Bobby came in, with who was the soccer player, then all of his pictures came on the piano. Created three songs with video that were synchronized there, and plus a lesson of the future. You know, it really was quite poignant because we introduced Disclavier TV a couple of years after that, and we're now teaching remote lesson, as you mentioned, over the internet. So Disney was right on task. So is there anything else you'd like to share? Any projects that you're working on that you're finding exciting or something that I've missed? Oh my gosh. Well, something that sort of coming back full circle when I went to Harvard Business School, one of my professors there was a gentleman named John Kao, K-A-O. John is quite a force, travels the world helping countries with their innovation strategies. He wrote a book called Jamming, which was basically a book that says, how can musicians without music get in front of an audience and jam, improvise, and still have it all make sense? And he goes into that and points out that these same principles can be applied to business. How can people go into business? It's not random, just like improvisation is not random. There's a set of rules and this and that. And so it was a wonderful best-selling book about how the principles of music and improvisation can be applied to business. So I've enjoyed working with John, uh, many projects. He's actually Yamaha's artist of innovation. And so he'll travel the world and Yamaha will supply a piano as he talks about innovation and his favorite thing is music. And so he and I are working on continuing to spread the word about music and music education. We see so many articles about the importance of music, and yet the schools and the budgets just aren't there for it. And it's just a shame. It is. It's a wonderful thing to learn. Making music lifelong is a beautiful thing. So where can people find out more about you or your projects or interesting technology developments in the piano world? Where would you point people? Oh boy. You know, I have never done a very good job of creating a little website or something around me because I've always just been involved with such 
great collaborations and corporations. Certainly on Yamaha's website, my activities are evident. If you go to a Facebook piano page, I'm usually making contributions there and the like. I still do travel the United States and make visits to Yamaha piano dealerships throughout the country, performing, doing concerts and the like, and travel with the guys every once in a while when they do their thing. And we do have some fun videos coming out in the future. That puppeteer video and the sand painting video, I expect will come out in the next month or, or two. And that's always fun. And we've got some other out of this world plans is all I'm going to say involving <laughs> some technology. And so just remember the term out of this world. We'll go from there. <laughs> ah, we got the first peak here on Piano Whisperer. Well, that's go. great. Well, again, I'm so glad you could join us. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, I really appreciate it. You almost embarrassed me a little bit with all of the, the accolades and the like, but I'm just out here doing what I enjoy. Thank goodness I was able to do something that I did enjoy. Yeah. Well, I wanted to share your story because you're so important to so many aspects of the piano business and people don't necessarily know what can be done with the piano education or their love for pianos. And you've just been from the lenses of the dealer, so important. We wouldn't know about certain products if it weren't for you, really. We wouldn't be able to help certain customers, I think, if it weren't for your assistance. And so I'm really grateful for you, and I know how talented you are. So I wanted to get your story out. Well, I certainly appreciate that. One of the keys with technology is just to hack through it. In fact, I sort of get excited when things don't quite work the way we anticipated, because it's usually something simple and can be used in the future. I don't think it's smart. It's just persistence and just not taking no for an answer <laughs> when it comes to technology. Well, it helps to have a few brain cells. That's <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to thank all of the listeners, of course, also for taking the time to tune in. You are what makes this podcast worthwhile. And of course, I'm incredibly thankful to Classic Pianos for sponsoring us. If you'd like to find out more about Piano Whisperer, or if you'd like to listen to earlier podcasts, please visit pianowhisperer.org. You also can find us on almost every streaming platform. And now we're even on Instagram at pianowhisperer.podcast. And we have a new Piano Whisperer Facebook page too. So please look for us and share. Again, many thanks. See you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And thanks again to our sponsor, Classic Pianos, who makes these ongoing podcasts possible. To learn more about Piano Whisperer and to hear earlier broadcasts, please visit pianowhisperer.org. We would be grateful if you would take a minute to rate and review us on whatever platform you use, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Podbeam, and TuneIn. See you next time. <laughs>